people don't want to go work. Shit hours, poor pay, bad ambiance. It's just not not true that how much you pay, the fact you have a title on your card, is enough to motivate you. This is One on One, a Table for Two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. It's like everybody thinks they know who they are. They think they know where they're going, but they actually haven't done the rigorous effort to pinpoint down who they are. Every week, One on One dives into the world of food and wine through the eyes and experience of my guests. In each episode, you will discover their journey, what matters to them, the challenge they have faced, and how the world of food and wine is evolving. Brand is what people feel about the name on your awning, the trust that they have in a certain experience. It's a pleasure to welcome on uh, one-on-one our special guest, Minter Dial. Good morning, Minter. Hey, Antoine. Great to be with you. It's so nice to be with you. And we've been having very often conversation about uh, the business side. And I, I was so much looking forward for you to be on one-on-one because there's something that is very close to you, which is leadership. Not only have you been a leader in your corporate life, working at L'Oréal as an example, uh, but you wrote a book, which is right behind you. It's called You Lead, and on the importance of, of leadership and how to bring together you know, the professional and the personal aspect into, into the leadership equation. Now... When we talk about the world of food, we're living in very strange times. Uh, COVID had a huge impact on, on, on the industry. And there are many challenges that are being faced by the industry and hence by the leaders in, these, uh, in that industry. So my, my first question would be, a, what do you see as the biggest challenge that those leaders are facing in the uh, in the we're going to narrow down into the restaurant uh, industry and and how can they change their leadership styles to meet those those challenges well yeah for sure the the restaurant business has taken it on the chin and if you weren't lucky enough to be furloughed or have some kind of government compensation uh, i don't know how any of these restaurants ever made it without um, digging heavily into their savings So I've had a lot of conversations with with restaurant owners over the years, over these pandemic years as well. And and clearly the the business model is also at risk at some level to the extent that you have to do social distancing still, the the way you evaluate space and and the fill rate and and how many um, plates you can serve in in a day are diminished because you now have to space the tables out more. And, and the, the bottom line is I was talking to my friend Stefano, who um, owns many restaurants, and he, he basically underlined that you really need to know your numbers well. It's especially true now that we're talking about inflation, where people costs are going to go up. Logistics costs are gonna gonna naturally go up. Timing is gonna also uh, decrease or you know or worsen. So you really need to take a fine tooth comb 
to the way you look at your numbers. Weren't they used to that? Because I know the, the restaurant business is, is a very, you know, the margins are thin. And uh, the expectation was they would have known these. Maybe well, not. of course, but the, 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 the things have shifted. And so people's will be raising rents, all your food and beverage, which, you know, can be anywhere between 20 and, and 35% of your costs. Those will be going up salaries, which is your largest, typically your largest uh, post will be going up. And that brings up the other real issue, which is getting the good people. At the end of the day, a restaurant is a service. You're providing great food, that's the product, great wines, that's a product. But it's the service, the ambiance that you can create that really makes people want to come back. So we have the macro situation in which you know, the economics of the business have changed because of, as you're saying, of inflation, of, of the number of diners that you can have in your restaurant. So that's on one side. And then you were talking about the service side and about the, the talent. What have been the biggest issues that the restaurateurs have, have faced with, uh, with people? No talent. Oh, people right. don't <laughs> want to go work. Shit hours, poor pay, bad ambiance. People have really stopped wanting to do that just because they have to or if they can avoid having to do it and so every every restaurateur i've talked with struggles to find people to work for them of course there's some people who like stefano who's been in the business for many many years and has built up a portfolio of people but when it comes to the the lower end staff who are typically younger and and are beginning out These are the ones that are really hard to fill. You know, getting a get a sommelier or a maître d to 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 hire them, they still exist, and and that's the let's say the top of the pyramid, the bottom part, uh, the cleaning, the the waiters. That is really where it's really hard to get qualified staff who are motivated, and uh, and, and I even think that uh, you know a lot of the people running at restaurants are are feeling the heat and and feeling the difficulty and the challenge and and are missing out on their own motivation. So there's a real issue with regard to personnel, starting at the very top, all the way down to the bottom, the top being more about um, learning how to have that excitement, that energy, the goodness of, of running a wonderful place where people break bread and have fun and, and attracting waiters and, and personnel who have that discretionary energy that's going to make the experience finally in a restaurant beautiful. Do you think that was somehow self-inflicted? Because for a long time, you know, this is the way the business has been functioning. I mean, when you're in a leadership position, you know, things are working and you're fine and you're just doing the way they are and the wages are at that certain rate. And this is the, as I said, this is the way the, the, the business is done. Is that somehow self-inflicted? And now they're starting to realize, wow, we got to do something about this because without those people, we can't exist. Well, so I would say it has been self-inflicted in some degree because it's been a tradition of doing that type of management. Hard ass, the chef, you know, you got to get that better and you scream at people and, and you, you're, you're demanding, which is great, except you, you haven't been worried about people's feelings. You haven't been worried about people's energy. You just expect them to, to show up and do it because I run this place and you better do it. That's your job. But just like everywhere, it's just not, not true that 
how much you pay and the fact you have a title on your card is enough to motivate you. And, and to the extent that's been the traditional style of management in restaurants, it's, it's not, by the way, only true in restaurants, but I think that they... Yeah, I was going to do the segue a, to the other industries. Yeah. Right, but they have uh, created that type of reputation. And so now that if you're applying for a job at a restaurant, you come with your, hmm, are these like the other guys or is it going to be okay? So, so, so what is the role of the, the leader? You, you, you've been in, you know, experienced many different types of, of industries. Do you think it's the responsibility of first and foremost of the leader to show the direction and to show how they should treat their 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 people? And in 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 that trend is you know the restaurant business late there or same thing as the other type of industries where people are starting to realize that need to do something about that? Yeah, I think it it's it's late. Uh, to be exact, uh, the end, uh, there's a saying I like to say, which is treat your employees the way you want to treat your clients. And it doesn't mean you're going to, you know, lick their shoes as far mm -hmm. as employees are concerned, but you need to have something that's congruent so that your culture is in line with what you're trying to achieve with your clients. And it's always been a challenge, for example, in, in the luxury industry where if you are talking about a retail store, you want to, um, you have these extremely wealthy clients, but your personnel, you're, you're paying them 23,000 pounds a year. And so they, they look at a bag that's worth 70,000 pounds and they say, probably not something I can afford. And the people that are coming in, I probably can't relate to them because I've never been on a yacht, much less a, you know, a big yacht. And, and so the ability to create that service, if you, if you don't, if you can't relate into that is, is tricky. So you as a manager really need to think through how you're going to, at the level of the employee, create an environment, a culture that is congruent with how you want to treat the customers. And, and, uh, and I, and I think today more and more customers are observant of the type of culture that's happening behind. So I want good service, I'm a customer. But if I see the boss screaming and lashing out at the employee who's serving me, uh-uh, I don't want that. It's not at any cost. And of course, there are certain prima donnas who want to have everything, you don't give a shit about that, right? Fine, those people lack ethics, that's another problem. But Today, more and more customers are aware of these ideas of culture because there's so many more people on the front line that are visible to the customers, yeah, not just the, the store personnel, but many more people on social media. Has, has, has COVID accelerated that movement where, where the customers are seeing things differently? Or it, it, it has been somehow present before, but not as, you know, not as mainstream or not as well it's a good point. And, and present. Yeah, I think I, I'm very sure that this movement had been happening before, that there was a, a growing understanding of what's important in life. And um, I mean, it, it, it's clear that the pandemic then accelerated this movement and made it more aware. Uh, ultimately, I think it, we're talking about an existential crisis. And, and so it, it had been brewing for many years where we, 
where we, um, we lo- we've been talking about this idea of purpose. And in France, they made a law before the pandemic about la loi pacte. That's every company, major company, has to have a raison d'être, a, re- a reason for existing that looks at the bigger community. The, the different funds in the United States that have been talking about, like BlackRock, the, the idea of a bigger set of stakeholders than just your shareholder. So this movement has been happening. When, when death is thrown in your face, all of a sudden, the little shit doesn't matter so much. Not that everybody has suffered through death, but we've all suffered through some sort of ex- existential crisis, which has realigned us and said, whoa, it's not that important that the peas were perfectly lined up on my plate. That's really not going to make my happiness. And, and so that's one thing. And then the other thing I, I've seen on Twan, unfortunately, is that while some people enjoyed the isolation and quarantine for sure. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we're starved. We're starved, literally, for community. Because and we're human after all. We're not just people staring but, at a screen. But <laughs> bearing in mind that not everybody is starved for it. So we need to have nuance as we yeah. go about this, because a lot of people just enjoy this idea of staying at home and cultivating their own garden and, and great for them. However, for other people who um, have really needed this. So we go out and I, I was out last night and, um, and I, I went out specifically because I just wanted to go out, meet people. I've, I've had a strategy for about 10 years, Antoine, where I, I want to meet a new person every day. And so I color in my agenda every day uh, in my rendezvous and of my rendezvous with whom am I having or meeting somebody for the first time. Yeah. And so I color them in green. Did it work and, during pandemic? Well, it, of course, it was much harder, right? But I, I found if you're, if you're motivated and that's something that's truly important to you, then you find ways. And I, so what I used is Lunch Club in particular, mm. lunchclub.ai as, a, as the method to meet new people. And, and thanks to that, it didn't work every day because it only, you could only start plugging it in from uh, Wednesday through to Saturday. So that left me with other days where I had to find other ways. But I think it's it, well, the important thing is there, the social element and connecting with people. And so going back out to restaurants, we're not probably going to go out to restaurants and have the same level of expectation of certain things. We, we need to have expectations around sanitariness. Obviously, you want the food to be well prepared, but you, you might be a little less hung up on the way your peas are lined up on the plate. Yeah. And... So what else would there be expectations? So, so anyway, the restaurant business normally has a baseline. Uh, you, wouldn't, you will not get poisoned. So the, the you know, health and hygiene are, are present. And I think more than any kind of other of uh, businesses because it's there. Uh, so, so you're expecting maybe uh, something different about the way uh, the ingredients are coming. So going into that new phase, whatever that is going to be, that new normal, uh, whatever they want to call it, the leaders have to face several issues. One is, is a, a, a macro, which is the economic situations and all the you know, business aspect of it, logistics, et cetera, et cetera. There's an internal uh, struggle, which is to, to find and retain talent so that you can actually deliver that service. Then... Something we're going to talk a bit more about is about what kind of services are you offering? So what are people expecting uh, when they go for that experience? Now, the, the question is, what are these? Uh, is it 
you know, farm to table? Is it less meat? Is it, what could it be? How would you see it? And, and, and how can leaders respond to that need? I, I talk about the five E's. Uh, and I, I think of this as a principle for business, a principle for leadership, a principle for the way you do marketing, education, and ultimately it's extremely human. And in these five E's, which are engagement, exchange, emotion, experience, and essence, you need to pay attention to them. Uh, and it's, it's particularly true with anything that's very service-oriented, where you have people that are involved. Um, So the one I want to start with, actually, is essence. Of course, um, you know, essence, you might think in, in, um, in German, essen, to, to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is essential um, food. However, the idea behind essence is why do you exist? And, and I think many restaurateurs get lost In, or, or stop at the first hurdle, which is we exist to make a great food experience. But it's like uh, millions of others. <laughs> exactly. It's like this. So the question is, what is it about you that is beyond the, the primary idea of making money while making other people eat great food? And, and you need to tie that into something that's bigger. So if you're going to say, well, we are going to be uh, local, right? We're just going to be within 100 meters or 100 yard, uh, miles, whatever, uh, for everything we serve, then why is that important to you? Why are you doing that? Well, because it turns out um, I moved to this part of this world. I love it here. But it's the fact that my daughter was born in a hospital one and a half miles from here. Oh, Okay. All right, so whenever you hire somebody and you, we're listening, everything we do here is within 100 miles. Why is it important for you? And, and if they come and say, well, I don't know, I like local, you know, I really want to save the earth. Okay, next. You need to make it desperately essential as to why this concept is really what it is all about. And once you get that kind of a mantra going, then you start getting a, a cut above because everybody is involved in this essential duty or this essential need that is beyond just creating good food. There's, there's a, a personal connection. When you go back to the other four E's, that's where you start engaging with that essence, the engagement factor. So it's talk to walk and walk to talk, ultimately, oh, yeah, exactly. completely. Right. But in, in a way that, of course, it's not a hundred percent because that's dogma. So, You know, I mean, I, what, I don't mean about the 100 miles story, mm. but it's not the only thing that's important to me. Okay, fine. Of course. What else? I love rock and roll music, you know, and, and I love uh, flying. Okay, great. So you're allowed to leave and, and go to places that are 100, over 100 miles away. Of course. So we're not going to be dogmatic about it because at that, at that level, then you make people, you go crazy. When you, when you create too much dogma, then it's like writing too many rules and people feel stripped down to some nonsense. So it's about having a congruency in this thought. Think about it within your, your recruitment questions and think about it within your processes and think about how you can make it come alive. 
uh, to the customers. And, and how are you going to do that? You're not going to do it like we're self-righteously the best restaurant in the world. What's, what's your messaging? And from all the staff through to every person that walks in. It's a way to base your, your decision-making process on you know, certain guidelines or certain reasons why you're doing what you're doing. So yes, of course, if I can find my beetroot within 100 miles uh, and there's one 200 miles away, I'm just going to do it, but not from across the world. So there, there are potentially limits in their flexibility and limit. But That's as long right. as it is, I like the word that you used, like congruence of, of, of as long as it goes along the lines of what you are for, what, what you want people to expect from you, because you said that, that you were going to do this. So it's a way to, to make a pledge and, and keep that word. Yeah, and here's the, here's the rub within this thought, Antoine, is that once you really do that in a smart way and, and a consistent way, then what happens is you tap into everybody's discretionary energy. What do you mean? This means that I will go beyond the pale. I will do more than is required because I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. There too often businesses and restaurants very often just sort of limit themselves to a, a brand name, a, a small concept. They don't have the rigor to drive it down and make it more deeply specific. So it's like, it's like everybody thinks they know who they are. They think they know where they're going, but they actually haven't done the rigorous effort to pinpoint down who they are. But it's Write it down. Well, of course it is. But I mean, just like running a business, actually, it's hard. Being a great leader, it's hard. And, and, and this is the point. It's like, well, yeah, I do, I, do, I do well enough. I have a good enough idea, but enough isn't enough in this case. And, and uh, if you really want to have a legacy, uh, a legacy business, you really need to dig down on that. I mean, how many restaurants, the name is the name of the guy? Plenty. Not all of them, but you know, a lot of, of them. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, by the way, in many businesses like hairdressers and so on. Mm. Well, so who are you? Uh, well, I don't know exactly. Well, then that's great as a brand. And then let's say you come up with another one, and uh, it could be Le Nôtre, or or what is what is what does Le Nôtre really stand for? The name of the value? guy. <laughs> of course, right? Yeah, yeah but yeah, but but there, yeah, you, values. You yeah. could, you could. Yeah move that into a personal story. And then the question is, how does everybody relate into that personal story? Every, every company has been founded by a man or a woman. And so the question then becomes, well, what is it, the essential problem that I'm fixing? And that essence story, but tie it down, go strong. Don't just sort of be broad and, and woofy and vague about it. Oh yeah, well, we great food. Well, yeah. Of course, everybody wants that great food, but tapping into that discretionary energy means that everybody is going to jump out of bed, come to work a little earlier. Even when shit is happening, they're still going to rise above it because they know why they're doing what they're doing. We didn't get the beetroots in this morning, sir. Okay, well, that's a shame. What do we can do? Well, I can quickly drive and you'll get some. Great. When the, when the, the initiative comes from your employees, you don't need to tell them what to do because they know why they're doing what they're doing. This is what creates that fervor, that experience. One of the other E's within my five E's is and it's extremely pertinent is the experience. Very and strong, I mean, definitely, is, yeah. is really 
less, they can hardly be more important of the other E's. Emotion, though, being really useful mm. too, which is linked in many ways to experience. But how do you create uh, a unique experience? Why do people go to a concert rather than turning on a CD? Because they're going into a community event to see Mick Jagger run down the aisle and maybe trip and make a mistake. I thought you would say the Grateful Dead. Well, of course. <laughs> But I, I can, you know, I, I'm not dogmatic about that. I, I believe there are other groups. Yes, they are. They're okay, you know, allow you to listen to other people occasionally. Um, but, you know, I, I saw the Stones, I don't know, maybe 30 times. And, and you go to have that experience, that unique experience. So when I go home that night, I say, oh, hey, you guys, I went to the show. I saw Mick and he tripped down the aisle. So you make it a word of mouth experience. So when you're doing a restaurant, what are you doing to create that word of mouth experience? And having good food is fine, but it is obviously important. But what else can you do to, to make it memorable? And, and, uh, and what is your essence? And make that essence come alive. Because really, that's the sparkle that will help ignite the word of mouth. That's, that's hard. And obviously, not everyone will do that. I'm not going to say they can't do that. But I don't think a lot of people, not sure. the majority will do it. Well, I don't know if the majority will do it. I, I really think, I don't think the majority do do it. I think, like every people, they understand that there's a thing called a brand. But it's a very vague concept, and, and people don't really understand, in my opinion, the depth of what brand is about. Brand is not about the title on your awning or outside of your restaurant. Brand is what people feel about the name on your awning, the trust that they have in a certain experience. And your employees need to feel it as well inside and out and needs to be part of your recruitment needs to be part of your training and of course it needs to be part of your experience because today more than ever before your employees are delivering the experience and, that, and that's because obviously in a restaurant it's a little less the case because it, i mean it's always been the people but in many businesses there are many more stakeholders or employees who are in front of customers thanks to the, dis the disparate ways of communication that now exist. What, what kind of experience do you think the, the, the customers of restaurants are looking for, let's say now in this post-pandemic world? Well, I, I would say that, again, these trends existed before. Uh, they want to go for a great experience. They obviously have, many people have a higher attention to the sanitary elements to it, which beyond the good food and clean food and all that, It's also about how things are clean and, and, um, and you know, masks and all this other kind of stuff. But I also think that um, the, the ecological uh, concepts are far stronger. Everybody's got more awareness to that. Um, but let's say that there's also an audience that doesn't necessarily worry about that in the first degree, that they want to have a great experience, a unique experience. And so what are you doing to create a unique experience? Because if you start saying we're eco-friendly, yeah, yawn. Everybody's eco-friendly. What is it about your version of your restaurant that's really going to be unique? And, uh, and you, need to, you need to think about that carefully. Obviously, you need to know what your competition's serving, like the old days. You know, these are from basic principles. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then go and do something that is personally important to you. 
So what is your greatest experience? What do you consider a great experience in a restaurant for you as Minter? All right. So I, I, I answer that as uh, with people I go with. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, that's how I roll and, and the level of conversation that I have. But as a, as a restaurateur, you know, what about, I have a friend in the United States who's, who's creating a, a, a whole service that does, gets rid of all the, the painful logistics of getting together a group of people to go to a restaurant, such as who's going, uh, how are we going to split the bill, and, and what should we do for having a, an extra entertainment piece? Yeah. And so I've, I've always thought that uh, the ability to have deep, meaningful conversation at a table is, is what drives me personally. And if you can, uh, maybe as a restaurant, create mechanisms that like some restaurants have, uh, I remember one in, um, in Colombia where they had uh, just unbelievable paraphernalia everywhere. So talking points, mm. you know, maybe every waiter uh, will wear something spunky, personal. And, you know, like a, I have a big sunflower and then somebody else has a big Grateful Dead sticker or whatever. And, and as a talking point and, and help spark conversation because, uh, you know, obviously I, 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 I use those as gimmicks. But I think what I, I look for is this, this connection and the connection, not just with the food, because if we spend our entire talking about food, that means I'm French. You know, I, I, I think there's more to a conversation than the quality of the gastronomy in front of me. And, and, and how can we ha go through, get away of small talk and move into deep, moving conversations that make us move, make us learn and have an exchange, back to my five E's, an exchange of deeper stories and deeper connection. So the, so the, the, the challenges of, the, of the, the leaders of the restaurant are the macro, the talents, the response to the new customer experience, your reason of being, and, and, and basically how to deliver the best experience possible for your target audience, because maybe it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah, and I would add, just make sure it's totally present, mm -hmm. the numbers. Yes. <laughs> because the sure. numbers are, are changing. Yes. And so, uh, in, you know, there's an example. I was talking uh, with another restauranter about why uh, he decided to do uh, take home, uh, which is a completely different business. But what that does is it, it essentially banalizes the food. So if your restaurant says, well, what we can do is we can get some extra capacity fill in the, in the kitchen because we're not having enough people in the, in the room. So we'll just have them create menus for people to take home or order out. But what you're doing there is you're stripping the food from the location, from the experience. The experience. Yeah. And so all you're left with is this piece of meat with some peas in a bag. And, and that is, it's hard to create a brand Around in this. a bag. Yes. Uh, fascinating. Could go on for hours. We're getting close to, to, to the end, but as usual, uh, we're going to finish with the pivot questionnaire. So we also get to know a bit more about the hidden part. Of, Bernard of, Pivot, of, here we go. Inter, yeah, yeah, just uh, awesome guy. Uh, great show. Woof. Uh, I feel like books, that's for sure. For for all the for all the books lovers. Um, so here's the first question: uh, What is your favorite word? My favorite word is serendipity. 
I, I've always enjoyed it. It doesn't exist in French, or at least it's not in the dictionary. La chance. We say it. Yeah, yeah. But serendipity is a little bit different. It's more than, yeah. Yeah, and it's this uh, idea that uh, of, of, of chance meetings, ch chance happenings. But I, I like to, I think, just like the word chance, um, it, it only exists before work in the dictionary or luck, you could the same for the same idea. And, and so um, much of what I think about serendipity is you need to be open to it and, and create the opportunities for it to happen. And it's hard to have serendipity if you stay in your bed. It, it does. Yes. Yes. Got to move. Except, yes. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? My least favorite word. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't, I don't think of words uh, with, with, with least favorability because I, I love words. I'm a, I'm a wordsmith and every word, even, you know, fuck or terrible. Every word I start thinking is there's really interesting things behind it. Like the word terrible in French, of course, means good and bad. And, and I just, I'm a, so I, I, I struggle to have a least favorite word. I, I don't even know. Um, xenophobia. Okay. What's your favorite virtue? Gratitude. Your favorite quality in a man? Fairness. Your favorite quality in a woman? Well, you know, I'm going to be called out for being sexist, but her eyes. No judgment. <laughs> What dish, wine, or ingredient would you like to use to describe yourself? Well, I have to borrow my ex-stepmother, Pussy, who, who used to describe me as a 75-milliliter bottle of wine, but that's wanting to put 100 milliliters in it. Um, And, and so always overfilling wine bottle and specifically a burgundy, a white or red, Chassaigne Montraché, for example. Um, hopefully a lot of things to uncover over time. What's your favorite curse word? Carlis. Quebec? <laughs> yes. I lived Quebec there for four word. years. I thought that was always very cute. <laughs> What sound or noise do you love? <laughs> I, I love the sound of birds in the morning. What sound or noise do you hate? People chewing gum with their mouth open. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? Mm, I'm very simple, a golden retriever. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You had a good innings. Winter died. Thank you very much. Merci Antoine. Mm -hmm.